following messages were presented during the Friends of Israel 2009 Prophecy Conferences. It should be noted that a few of our speakers presented their messages with the aid of PowerPoint. Back in uh, 1997, I took my very first trip to Israel. Our guide was Jewish, our driver was an Arab Muslim, and our tour host was a Christian. I observed them and found that the three of them got along exceedingly well. But that is not the reality in today's Middle East. But a new day is coming, the Bible teaches, in which Arabs and Jews will live and worship together in harmony. I want to call your attention this morning to one of the most astounding prophecies in the entire Bible concerning the Arabs and the Jews. Will you turn, please, to Isaiah chapter 19? Isaiah chapter 19. Now I want to begin reading with the 16th verse. In that day, Egypt will be like women and will be afraid and fear because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts which he waves over it. And the land of Judah will be a terror to Egypt. Everyone who makes mention of it will be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts which he has determined against it. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts. One will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. And it will be a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors, and he will send them a Savior and a Mighty One, and he will deliver them. Then the Lord will be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and will make sacrifice and offering. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt, he will strike and heal it. They will return to the Lord, and he will be entreated by them and heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. What a remarkable, astounding prophecy in the Word of God. When we look at the three na nations that are mentioned in this prophetic text, Egypt, Assyria, and Judah, we can hardly fathom what we have just read. Half a century ago, there were some who said this prophecy could not possibly come to pass. It could not possibly be literal because there was no Israel, nor had there been for centuries. But God had said in his word that in the last days, he would orchestrate a rattling of dry bones, that he would regather the Jewish people who had been dispersed throughout the countries of the world, and he would begin to regather them to their ancient God-given homeland, the land of Israel. And that our God has done and continues to do in our area, and Israel has been reborn as a nation. But there is more than Israel in this prophecy. 
What of Egypt? What of Assyria and other Arab nations? Is there hope for the Arab nations as well? Now, Egypt is not the large empire that it once was, but we know about Egypt. Assyria, on the other hand, no longer exists as an empire, having been broken up into other smaller nations. Today, we would call her Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, even perhaps parts of Iraq, or as the newspapers often do, just lump them together as the Arab world. As I studied this passage some time ago, it intrigued me that none of the nations mentioned here are part of the list given in Ezekiel 38.5 where it talks about the Russian Islamic coalition that will come against Israel. That coalition, by the way, will be destroyed, according to Ezekiel. As you know, Israel is the apple of God's eye. And when you touch the apple of God's eye, look out. But these Arab nations are not listed in Ezekiel 38.5. I find that intriguing, especially in light of Genesis 12.3, where God says, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. Apparently, these Arab nations do not take part in that Ezekiel Russian Islamic coalition to destroy Israel and because of that, they are under the blessing of God rather than the curse of God. This prophecy concerns two nations that were bitter enemies of the Jewish people. To the north there was Assyria, to the south there was Egypt. Both were hostile toward ancient Israel. She was invaded and attacked first by one and then by the other. But at this point in Israel's history, she was in danger from Assyria, and she was looking to Egypt for help, but no help would be forthcoming from Egypt because Egypt herself was about to be overwhelmed by God's impending judgment. You can read about that in chapter 19 and verses 1 through 15. The modern history of Israel has been much the same. It has been a story of tears and agony and bloodshed and torment. Ever since Israel became a nation, she has been faced with an almost daily threat of conflict and war and terrorism. In 1948, as she established her independence. The War of Independence began almost immediately. In 1956, it was the Sinai War. In 1967, the Six-Day War. In 1973, it was the Yom Kippur War. More recently, she was at war with Hezbollah in Lebanon and most recently at war with Hamas in Gaza. Israel's modern history has been one of battle and bloodshed. With this history of the Arabs and of the Jews, can you imagine a prophetic text such as this ever coming to pass? Is it possible? Well, the prophet Isaiah lifts his eyes to the future, and he sees the promised messianic kingdom and in that kingdom, he sees some amazing things. What does he see? Well, he sees three amazing things. Let me share them with you. First of all, he sees fear. And notice, first of all, there will be fear of Jehovah in verse 16. In that day, Egypt will be like women and will be afraid and fear 
because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he waves over it. Fear of Jehovah. Note the phrase, in that day, that is an eschatological term that is used five times in this passage. And in biblical usage, it can refer to events that range from tribulational to millennial in nature. But note not only the phrase in verse 16, notice the panic. They'll be like women and will be afraid and fear because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he waves over it. You know, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and the Egyptians are going to tremble at this prospect. But not only will Egypt have fear of Jehovah, there will be fear of Judah. Look at verse 17. And the land of Judah will be a terror to Egypt. Everyone who makes mention of it will be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he has determined against it. I like what the Bible Knowledge Commentary had to say about this text. I quote, In contrast with Isaiah's day when Judah was thinking about turning to Egypt for help, a time will come when Egypt will recognize Judah as the dominant force in the world. Under the uplifted hand of the Lord Almighty, this will be a reversal of the situation in the prophet's time. Oh, I wish I had time today to tell you of our dear Jewish friend, Claire. Claire told me one day, she said, you know, I was invited by a Christian friend to go to church, and I went, and I didn't like what I heard. I said, Claire, what did you hear? She said, well, the pastor said that the day was going to come in which all nations would turn against Israel, and that Israel was going to be destroyed. I said, well, the pastor was half right and he was half wrong. Apparently, he quit reading too soon. <laughs> because I said, Claire, the Bible does teach that in the last days that all nations will turn against Israel. I said, Claire, even as we have lunch today, I said, there is a growing anti-Semitism around the world. In Europe, they tell me it's like it was in the days just before Hitler. But I said, Claire, the Bible goes on to teach that when these nations come against Israel, that the Lord God is going to send forth the anointed one, the Messiah, and he is going to come and defend Israel against her enemies and destroy her enemies, and that Israel will then be exalted as queen of the nations, and the kingdom is going to be established, and Israel is going to be dominant. I said, Claire, you ought to visit our church. Our pastor loves Israel. He loves the Jewish people. She said, I think I'll do that. Well, I'm gone almost every Sunday out speaking somewhere, and uh, next time we had a, a Sunday uh, available, it was a Sunday night, we called her and said, Claire, would you like to go to our church with us tonight? She said, I would. So we take her to our church. They have a fellowship afterwards, and what do they do? They serve ham salad sandwiches. <laughs> But Claire discovered not only that our pastor loved Israel, she discovered a whole congregation that loved Israel and loved the Jewish people, and she has been loved and blessed by them. Not only do we have fear in our text, but Isaiah sees a second thing, faith. Notice in verse 18, we have salvation. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts. One will be called the city of destruction. I find first in verse 18, conversion. 
They will swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. Imagine the Egyptians swearing allegiance to the God of Israel. Now let me clarify something. Allah is not the same God that Christians and Jews worship. I've heard evangelicals say, well, you know, Allah is just another name for our God. Not the case. First of all, Allah does not have the character of the God of the Bible. He is not a God of love. He is a God of hate. Secondly, Allah does not have a son. The God of the Bible has a son, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, if you do a study on Allah, I think you'll be able to trace him back to the Baal, to the Baal deities, a pagan idol that the Muslim world worships. But in this day, in this day, Egypt is going to swear allegiance to the true and the living God, the God of Israel. Not only will there be conversion, but I find in verse 18, there's going to be new conversation for it says, they will speak the language of Canaan. They'll learn to speak Hebrew because that is the language of Jewish worship. And then it mentions the cities and specifically the city of destruction. That can also be rendered city of the sun, referring to the ancient Egyptian city of Heliopolis in Egypt's southern Delta region, which was dedicated to the worship of the sun. What a significant change this is going to be. Rather than worshiping the S-U-N, the, Egyptian, the Egyptians are going to be worshiping the S-O-N. Now please understand that this salvation will not be a, you know, think back a few years to Sadat and Carter and Begin and that uh, attempt at reconciliation, those smiling faces. This will not be a reconciliation of three different religions, but an acknowledgement and surrender to the true God of Israel and his anointed son, Jesus Christ. Not only, will there, not only is there salvation here, but secondly, in verses 19 and 20, we have a sign. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. And it will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. Can you imagine the Egyptians are going to witness and be a witness to the true and the living God? You see, genuine conversion, genuine salvation is always evidenced by signs. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creation. All things pass away, behold, all things become new. I was saved at the age of 17 and didn't understand what was happening. I didn't know anything about the Bible, but suddenly things I had been doing I didn't want to do anymore. And things that I didn't want to do, I found myself wanting to do, like read the Bible and go to church and hang out with those weird people called Christians. Couldn't get enough of them. God changed my life, and Egypt is going to change. And the people of Egypt are going to change. And there will be an altar for worship, along with a monument, a sign on Egypt's border, declaring to all who come to Egypt that their allegiance is not to Allah, but to the Lord God Almighty. Egypt will openly confess and declare to the world that she worships and serves the God of Israel. 
We have not only salvation and a sign, but also in verse 20, we have a Savior. Because on to say in verse 24, they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors, and he will send them a Savior and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. The NIV Study Bible says it is uncertain who this Savior and Defender is, but the prophet may well have had in mind the promised son of the house of David. Well, I am no scholar, but I don't think the identity of the Savior is uncertain at all. I believe it's Messiah Jesus. In verse 21, we have a verse that troubles many because it talks about sacrifices. Then the Lord will be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and will make sacrifice and offering. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. There are those who have trouble with the offering of sacrifices during the millennium. I don't have all the answers to that issue. Some have said they're memorials, though the text doesn't say that. That is a, a very valid possibility. But I see no reason to spiritualize this and say it's not going to happen when the Word of God is quite clear it is going to happen. I was talking with a pastor friend this week, and uh, he's doing a series on dispensationalism in his church, which is a good thing to do. And I said, you know, Mark, I said, uh, I've come to this conclusion. A dispensationalist is a person who simply says the Bible means what it says, and those who hold a replacement theology are saying the Bible doesn't mean what it says. It's that simple. Well, verse 22, we move from the sacrifices to surrender. Surrender. And the Lord will strike Egypt. He will strike and heal it. They will return to the Lord, and he will be entreated by them and heal them. When the Lord judged Egypt in the days of Pharaoh, you'll remember that the nation refused to turn to the Lord. But how different it will be in the days of the Messiah than it was in the days of Moses. This time, under the Lord's chastening hand, they will turn their hearts to the Lord and he'll respond to that and the Bible says he will heal them. So we have fear. There will be fear of Jehovah. There will be fear of Judah. And then we have faith. But there's a third thing that Isaiah saw and this follows naturally. After faith comes fellowship. And notice in verses 23 through 25, the whole concept here of fellowship. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Will the Arab and Jew always hate, harass, and hurt one another? Is that the way it will always be? Oh, if you go to Israel with the friends of Israel, you will meet many Jewish people, many Israelis, and oh, how they long for peace. You know, I tell folks in churches all the time that there could be peace today if the Arabs would only lay down their weapons, there would be peace 
As Golda Meir said, when the Arabs learn to love their children more than they hate the Jews, then there will be peace. But you see, the world doesn't call on the Arabs to lay down their weapons, they call on who? To Israel to lay down her weapons. And if Israel lays down her weapons, what are we going to have? A holocaust. A holocaust. But the prophet speaks of a coming king in whose glorious kingdom a glorious reconciliation will take place between not only Arab and Jew, but between Gentile and Jew. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4. And notice what it says beginning with verse 1. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. What explains this this new fellowship between the nations? Well, you see, when you get your fellowship right with God, then your fellowship with other people is going to be right. And as nations bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to the God of Israel, then the relationships with one another will be what they should be. Turn to Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8. That's right before Malachi, by the way. And verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will also go. Yes, many peoples in strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Shortly after moving to uh, Surprise, Arizona, I read in the paper that an area synagogue was getting a new rabbi. So I called him, told him who I was, and mentioned that we had arrived in the the greater Phoenix area at about the same time and wanted to know if I could take him to lunch. He said yes, he'd like to meet me, and we have become dear friends. In fact, uh, this year he was one of the speakers at our uh, Thank God for Israel night and brought with him about 30 people from his congregation. And during our very first lunch together, I told him of my love for the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. He said, tell me, what is it evangelicals believe about Israel? I said, well, Rabbi, first, let me tell you what I have heard. I have heard that there are some rabbis who believe that Christians believe 
that when Messiah comes, he's going to come and destroy the Jews and we Christians are going to take over. He says, yes. I said, well, let me tell you what the Bible teaches and what we really believe. I said, we believe that when Messiah comes, he's going to come to deliver Israel from her enemies and the Jews are going to take over. He says, I can't believe you're saying that. And we had a wonderful discussion about what the Bible teaches concerning Israel's future. During this millennial kingdom, battalions and bullets will become bread and butter. Missiles will be transformed into machinery. Tanks into tractors. And artillery into equipment for agriculture. As we moved to Surprise, Arizona, about three years ago we were looking for a house and our realtor had shown us several homes and he said you know there's just one other home you've got to see he said it's out of your price range but I I want you to see this home I said okay we'll look at one more we rang the doorbell and man came to the door and he wasn't real friendly at first and so I just, after the realtor talked to him, said we were there to see his house, I just reached out my hand. I said, hi, I'm Patrick Neff. And in very broken English, he told me his name. I thought, this man is Jewish. Well, then he became very charming and took my wife by the arm and showed her his home. When we got to the third bedroom, which would be my study if we were to purchase his home, I was alone with him. And I said, sir, I believe that you are Jewish. He said, yes, I am. I said, well, I just want you to know my wife and I are Bible-believing Christians, and we love the Jewish people, and we strongly support Israel. And that man began to cry. The tears just started running down his face and then he stuck out his arm and he said, I'm a Holocaust survivor. He said, I lost 10 family members in the Holocaust. And then he said, they did this to us just because we were Jewish. For no other reason, just because we were Jewish and it will always be that way. I put my arm around that dear man and I said, not always, sir. Not always, because the Bible teaches that one day God is going to send Messiah. And when Messiah comes, he is going to come and deliver the Jewish people from their enemies and establish Israel as the queen of the nations in the promised kingdom. That man has become a dear friend, and we have been able to share our love, our faith with him many, many times. Well, who will be part of this wonderful promised kingdom? Well, the Jew will be first and foremost in it. They will lead the nations as priests of God. The prophets tell us the time is coming in which the Messiah will appear to the nation of Israel. He sees them back in their land, gathered from the four corners of the earth. He sees them surrounded by the armies of all the nations. And he will come and rescue them and When they see the one they have pierced, Zechariah says, they will recognize Jesus as their Messiah and in mournful repentance cry out to him 
And then will come to pass that little verse in Romans 11.26 that says, And so all Israel shall be saved. I was calling pastors one day and I ran across a pastor who believes in replacement theology. And he said to me, Friends of Israel, why, if you were with an organization called Friends of the Palestinians, we'd have you come. And then he spent the next several minutes blaming Israel for everything that had happened in the Middle East. When he finished, I said, Sir, may I ask you a question? He said, What's your question? I said, Do you believe in replacement theology? He said, what's that? I said, do you subscribe to the view that the church has replaced Israel and that Israel has no prophetic future whatsoever? He said, that's exactly what we believe. I talked to another pastor who had the same view. And he wanted to debate and argue and we looked at several scriptures together over the phone and I got into Romans eleven twenty six, 26. And I says, Paul specifically said, and so all Israel shall be saved. And you know what he said? All doesn't mean all, and Israel doesn't mean Israel. <laughs> well, let me tell you, all does mean all, and Israel does mean Israel. Yeah. <clears throat> Not only will the Jew be part of this glorious kingdom, but the Arab will be in it. Victor Boxbazin, am I saying that right? <laughs> Close has a wonderful commentary on Isaiah. I'd recommend it to you. Chapter 19 and verse 15, he comments and says, this is one of the most glorious lines in all of the Old Testament scripture. Pagan Egypt is to become just like Israel, my people, God's people. Assyria, the most bloodthirsty, ferocious kingdom which human cruelty has ever established, shall become a nation of whom a holy God will be able to say with joy, the work of my hands. He continues, while ancient Assyria and Egypt have disappeared, the successor nations of those two empires will embrace much of the contemporary Arab and Muslim world that, that comprise much of the contemporary Arab and Muslim world are still alive and are together with Israel in the very center of this troubled and perplexed world. After three millennia, they are still engaged in bitter conflict with one another. However, this glorious and as yet unfulfilled promise holds out a bright hope of eventual reconciliation to the nations of the world under King Messiah. One day, the God of Israel will be the God not only of the Arab and Jewish nations, but of all peoples who dwell on the earth. Such is the vision of the prophet Isaiah. The Jew is going to be part of the kingdom. The Arab the believing Arab is going to be part of the kingdom. And my friends, you can be in it. God has a purpose and a program for Israel. God also has a purpose and a program for the Arab nations. And God has a purpose and a program for your life as well. Israel missed the kingdom when it was first offered because the leaders of the nation did not recognize the Messiah. They did not receive him. And what you do with Jesus Christ in this life will determine what he will do with you, not only in the kingdom age, but for all eternity. Let me just make a couple of applications. Number one, one of the best things the church can do for Israel is to take the gospel message to the Muslim people. 
For only the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ can change hearts that are full of hate of people who are intent on harm. Most of you would know who Ergen Kanner is, today Dean of Liberty Seminary. Ergen was raised Muslim. As a teenager in high school, a Baptist friend invited him to come to church. Ergen went, and in the providence of God, they had an evangelist that week, and before the week was out, Ergen Kanner had received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. But Ergen still had a problem. He didn't like the Jews. He'd been raised to hate Jews, to blame the Jews. But as he began to study the Word of God and saw how God loved the Jewish people, and as he began to fellowship with Bible-believing Christians and sense their love, he found his heart changing. And about two years ago, he wrote an article for Israel, My Glory. He called it his coming out article in which he announced to the world, Ergen Kanner, former Muslim, now Bible-believing Christian, announces to the world, I love the Jewish people. I support the nation of Israel. Only God can do that. That is the power of the gospel. Second application. We need to reject replacement theology and embrace a literal interpretation of the scriptures. Now listen to this, folks. If you spiritualize away God's promises to Israel, do you realize you've also spiritualized away God's promises to the Arab world? You can't say, well, you know, what Isaiah says here about Israel is spiritual and what he says about Egypt and Assyria is literal. You can't do that. Well, I guess you can, but that makes no hermeneutical sense whatsoever. W.A. Criswell closed his comments on Isaiah 9 with these words. The Assyrian will join hands with the Egyptian and the two will join hands with the Jew. It will be a glorious and triumphant day God has in store for the nations of the earth. Dear ones, I think this is all the more reason to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and to pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, what a glorious day is in store for the nations of the world. Oh, we read about how you will reach down and deliver Israel. But Lord, you'll also reach down and reach into the hearts of other nations, Egypt, Assyria, and the Gentile peoples as well. What a future is ours, all because of your grace and your mercy and because of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, in his name. Amen.